it's brilliant because, you know, this person took a risk. And of course, anyone who takes an early risk is always going to get criticized. But I mm-hmm. think that those early adopters are going to pay off and that if we're thinking about marketing, auditory and sonic branding are not just in the background, right? They're not just something we might get to. They should be included with your normal channels. Like if you're talking about, hey, we have um, social media, we have email, we have direct mail, we have webinar production, we have asset creation, we have look and feel, we have auditory branding. Like that should be a natural part of the the multi-channel experience that you're doing. Welcome to Audio Branding, the hidden gem of marketing. I'm your host, Jody Krangle, and this podcast will discuss just how sound influences our behavior. I generally talk about this in the context of advertising and marketing, but there are other places this is important too. I really feel that it plays a much more important role in our lives than maybe we realize. So let's delve a little deeper. Here's the first part of my interview with Brandy Sanders. My next guest is an award-winning woman in tech and has been featured in the New York Times, Condé Nast, New York Fashion Week, Etsy, Foodable TV Network, and Inc. Magazine. She's a featured director of dynamic and immersive storytelling projects, including works with Emmy award-winning Travel and Leisure, IFC, Passion Passport, Netflix, AOL, Hulu, MTV, PBS, and many more featured media. She's currently serving as Director of Marketing Operations at Appetize Technologies and pursuing a master's degree in data and analytics. Her name is Brandy Sanders, and you can find out more information about her at brandysanders.com. This is going to be a wild ride, so put on your seatbelt. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Brandy. This is, I'm excited about this because we've been waiting. <laughs> ah, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So I wanted to ask you, you call yourself a multimedia storyteller. Yes. So I, I, I want to hear how you explain that, first of all, but how did you get there? Because I know that you've been in production and audio for a while as well, right? Yes. In a, and it is a completely non-traditional path. <laughs> It's like there's nothing. <laughs> That's fine. Hey, there's there's nothing uh, linear about this at all. Uh, yeah, my my original background, uh, like a lot of people who work in technology, was actually uh, creative. So um, I did performance uh, in front of the camera. Uh, so lots of film, musical theater, performance, classical arts, ballet. I mean, really any kind of triple threat activity you could think of, I definitely at one point or another have <laughs> participated in. I could probably stand mm-hmm. up and do a pretty mean soft shoe right now. Um, five, six, seven, eight <laughs> for every X dancer out there. And I know there's more than a couple probably listening. Um, awesome. But yeah, so I, I came in uh, through the front of the camera. And as I got older, like, of course, many performers, I realized, you know, there's a there's a great value to having more power in your position. Uh, so I moved behind the camera. I started doing uh, my own shooting, um, spun up a a lot of different projects with some really brilliant uh, creative storytellers in New York City and Los Angeles. Uh, And that kind of led me through a backdoor to creating my own e-commerce business, uh, which again was (laughs) completely, completely born out of naivete because if I had known what I was getting into with with creating uh, my own entity, I probably would have said no. So I think there's actually some brilliance and ignorance is bliss is uh, actually uh, completely accurate there. Um, But yeah, I started my own business. Uh, It was successful in spite of my ignorance, uh, which was brilliant and was very fortunate to 
surround myself with some really amazing uh, partners, um, Jared Andrews, who's with Ag Media now, and a lot of other people in New York City who were just really supportive of that that kind of huge pivot. Because when you have a creative life, when you are a performer or um, anything, even writers, et cetera, you really do have to kind of have that backdoor job, right? Because there's three careers, the one that you're passionate about, um, that you, you'd love to do, which would obviously be performance or creative arts. Uh, the second one, which pays, pays the bills, right? So that's our nine yeah. to five day jobs, which literally everyone has. Uh, and then the third one, which is your ultimate dream, which is whatever you're sketching in like your eighth grade notebook, right? And uh, I feel like <laughs> <Yeah>. I've, <laughs> I've been lucky Putting enough. Hearts next to. <laughs> yes, it's a great way to explain it because people are like, well, this is my dream. And I'm like, that's the dream you acquired in college when you looked at like, will I have a 401k? So let's all be yeah. honest here. Like astronaut prince was on a lot of people's lists. All right. So (laughs) (laughs) I love it. President of kittens. Um, Yeah. So I I feel like I've been very fortunate in that um, I've continued to do, you know, self-education and lifelong learning and all that brilliant buzzworthy kind of stuff um, while moving across these different um, verticals. And where I landed after all of this was uh, in the two hemispheres uh, of the world, which is one statistical quantitative data analysis in technology, um, in operations and marketing, et cetera, and then the wonderful world of storytelling. So data translation, where you're taking, um, whether it's like measuring efficacy or, or um, just talking about a literal solution, product, company, brand, et cetera, and spinning that up into something that um, engages people's emotions and minds. And so that's really where multimedia storyteller comes into play because it's I'm straddling two worlds, one which is quantitative statistical analysis and efficacy, and I have facts to back up what we've done has had an impact on the business or the brand or the person or the project. And then the other side, which is make beautiful things and make people feel things. That's uh, quite a marriage. You see that? That's quite a marriage of information. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's really fascinating. So to bring this all together for people who are listening who might not quite understand what you're getting at, Mm -hmm. do you have any case studies that you could maybe mention, like something that used the data in order to improve their their, (laughs) narrative that they bring out to their clients and in the big world. Yeah, I, I almost said for sure. I was like, for sure, I got some case studies. You want to see them case studies? Um, yeah, no, definitely there are. There's actually a couple on my website I have up. Um, I know one of them from one of my previous roles was actually really interesting. And that was a webinar series that was pitched out through um, LinkedIn as one of our main promotional channels in the APAC region. Um, and we ended up getting featured in a case study by LinkedIn. And it's really brilliant. Um, you know, there was an untapped area there where we weren't engaging audiences on that particular channel. And we were trying to land and expand and really get traction with particularly targeted demographics in geographical regions, like Sydney, Singapore, Kuala Lumpur, et cetera. So um, we were really fortunate to have a great team there that was supportive, that was really brilliant with um, their marketing, their storytelling, how we're engaging, how we're measuring effectiveness for that particular production value. And um, that LinkedIn case study, I think, is probably one of my favorites because it's also um, a great way to show that, you know, where there was no perceived value in a particular audience, it it uh, turned around and gave us data that was actually surprising, you know, and that was double digit uh, changes like, you know, hey, there's a 
you know, and I'm totally like spitballing the numbers here because I don't have it in front of me, but like we expected, you know, 10 participants and we ended up getting like two or 300 and then that's for register. And then beyond register, just like with wedding invites, there's an attrition thing that you have to think about where there's mm-hmm, only a certain yeah. percentage who read who are going to show and only a certain percentage who show who are going to download the on-demand. And so that was, that was wildly effective in that case study with LinkedIn, I think is one of my favorites. So what exactly was that? What was the story you were telling there that was compelling people to participate? Oh, we actually, we had PepsiCo, which in and of itself, when you say Pepsi, immediately there's uh, a brand, right? Like in your head, mm-hmm. you can see it. Some people can see the the label. They'll know the commercials. It's really in Pepsi, uh, much like its main competitor, Coca-Cola, has just like this universal brand awareness that has been decades in the ma- in the making. And so PepsiCo is actually one of the featured guests. And uh, we put together this really compelling story um, about successes that they had had with the platform that we were operating with at the time and uh, sent it out to people who were specifically Um, most likely to benefit from the tools and products and solutions that were being offered at the time. And it was just like a match made in heaven. Like we saw really great responses from that. And because of the weight of the brand, which I know we're going to get into brand at some point here. We will, definitely. (laughs) Oh, it's it's coming down the pipe. We can feel it. Um, Mm -hmm. But because of the weight of the brand and people's basically emotions, feelings, recognition, instantaneous awareness, understanding what they could expect from the levity of that brand, uh, we had a powerful foothold in that region where there wasn't before. And I think that that was particularly effective. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it worked really well. That's great. And that's, you know, using the data to support what you were offering. Right. And and really, really, that comes back down to piloting things as well, because I know a lot of people are going to be like, well, I'm not going to get, you know, approvals for X, Y, Z if I don't like most people are saying, hey, we're not going to give you budget for that if you can't prove that it would be effective to begin with. And that leads Mm -hmm. me back to this little circle of life where we talk about like innovation. So a lot of people talk about like, hey, we're innovators. We support innovation at like a kind of a what's the word I'm looking for, soundbite level. But when you're coming forward and you're saying, I have an innovative idea in an untested region with an untested concept, but I believe based on things like TAM or you know market research that we may have an untapped vein there for us to go after, um, could we try this? I think it's really interesting. We were very fortunate at the time to be led by a brilliant um, uh, VP, Tony Lani, who was very supportive of innovation and taking risks to try to like address new markets. And uh, we got the green flag there. So I think that um, it's it's easy for me to say that um, from my perspective, because I had that support to say, hey, guys, we're going to, you know, try this new webinar series and see if it works. Or we're going to try this new conference series and see if it works. And a lot of the times you don't get support on that. So I've been very fortunate to, to be surrounded with people who are truly innovators, not in, in speak only, but also through action and support and, and budgetary allotments and things like that. So, um, yeah, I feel like that's a necessary <laughs> that's a necessary soundbite to throw out there is because it's very yeah. easy to talk about like, hey, we took a risk and it paid off because there are plenty of times when failure is the result. Right. Or there's nothing. Mm-hmm. Hey, your pilot failed. Well, then we know it's not effective. And that doesn't necessarily that's mean. Too, right. Yeah. Yes. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the concept failed or the product failed or the asset or the storytelling failed. It means it could be the wrong time. It could be the wrong place. It could be the wrong vertical. You're not reaching the stakeholders. So I think that 
um, all that due diligence that goes into that when we talk about like innovation for a brand and, and using levity of brands and awareness and things like that to further digital marketing or storytelling or anything that you're doing, I think it's super valuable to keep that in the back of your mind because you cannot have innovation without failure. I've never mm-hmm. met a dancer who didn't fall. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And the data helps support not only the successes, but, you know, the failures so that you learn from them. Exactly. Yeah. Iteration is is key. <laughs> and there is no innovation without failure. It's a mandatory requirement, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Every once in a while, we all fall on our ass. Yes. <laughs> it's mandatory. So memorable stories, creating them from data. I mean, how do you do that? Is it how do you do that without sounding like you're selling constantly? Uh, so <laughs> like that's <laughs> that's a big one <laughs> for marketers. I know this is a big one. <laughs> I think it is. And I think before <laughs> before I even go down that rabbit hole of which it is definitely some serious <laughs> Alice in Wonderland vibes, um, uh-huh. I would say you have to start by having more than one type of person in the room. Because we have all been witness to some pretty disastrous campaigns, uh, some pretty ill-conceived concepts. You're like, wow, how did that even get past a storyboard, you guys? Like, no one in the room raised their hand and said, mm, the Jenner thing. Could we dial it back? Maybe, I don't know, maybe bad timing. We a little yeah. thoughtfulness about this. I mean, there's so many different examples of, and again, I know I just got done spouting, you know, failure is a part of innovation. But um, I also feel like there's a thoughtfulness that has to go into what you're talking about prior. And it's good to have like a diverse group of people who can speak um, effectively to generating those ideas and concepts and things with like a sense of awareness for who the target audience is, why we're doing it, what we're talking about, what do we want the effects to be, you know, what is the call to action? all those different things. So I think it all starts with who's at the table with you first, because having a good team of people who are passionate about what they do and have the flexibility and what I would call like rapid learning agility to put themselves in the shoes of the buyer or the consumer or the person who's going to be digesting whatever form of media it is, whether it's a short film, a commercial, radio jingle, doesn't matter who it is, you really do have to be able to leave yourself and put yourself in their position to see how they're going to be viewing the story that you're putting forward. Um, so I think that's mm-hmm. definitely step one, <laughs> and then, yeah. which sounds like oh, so flippantly I say that, but um, there's a hell of a lot of research that has to go into what you're doing. Because when you do sprain, pray or just throw stuff at a wall and pray that it sticks, um, you can see it, right? You can tell right away mm-hmm. when you've had a good group of people come together and they're building a story, whether that's a glorious Christmas um, there was a brilliant commercial. You know, the one with Elton John and the piano. They come out every year. I want to say mm-hmm. Harrods, but I'm probably wrong. It's um, the the UK um, store. They did a brilliant like Elton John commercial where he's getting the piano as a child. And it's like this huge journey up until, you know, his current identity now. And it was just brilliant. And everyone who watches it feels something. And I think that that, that is the heart of actual like you know in this in this year that we're living in in 2020 the heart of marketing Mm -hmm. particularly for digital because it's very easy to just kind of get caught up on sales activation and and speaking of which this is one of my favorite things i can't remember i think it was les Bennett who said like um brand building campaigns are like the protein of advertising and Mm -hmm. sales activation is the carbs and sugar like high crash cycle (laughs) Okay, yeah. So you need to keto. You need to keto if you're building a brand, I think is the takeaway there. But it was talking about like the two types of campaigns, like brand building is so much harder to achieve because it requires greater investment. 
Um, there's a time that you're putting in there, yeah. six to 12 Longer months. time. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it was actually Bennett and Field said like, you know, brand building means creating mental structures, like associations, okay. memories, beliefs, your heart. And that's going to like predispose potential customers to choose one brand over another. And so well, you can't have one without the other. No, right? because exactly. If you have too much heart, you're going to remember the commercial, but you're not going to remember the advertising. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? Yeah, I felt something, and then yeah. what? What happens next? Like, oh, I don't yeah. know. I that like, commercial who was ends. That? And then I did that. <laughs> I don't know who the hell that. Why did that I was. watch that? It was good. <laughs> yeah, I felt something. But, Wait, what am I doing? Oh, it's over. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's like it's a long-term <laughs> job involving conditioning consumers. So it does take time and. And talking to people long before they get to that part of the buying cycle, right? And so that brand building requires like mass media reach, like, you know, things from television. And I'm sure as you're aware, like auditory branding, AM, FM radio, digital, et cetera. So it's it's really, it's an investment. And it's not something, you can't flip a switch and turn into Coca-Cola. You know, you can't toss a seed down and then five minutes later expect a sequoia. That's not how marketing mm-hmm. works. That's not how digital storytelling works or, or multimedia in any way, shape or form. So multimedia storytelling, where does audio branding come into this? Because you knew I was going to ask this question, Of course. Right? I was like, I'm surprised <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I haven't are. heard the term yet. Um, yeah. So, I mean. We are in an audio branding podcast. <laughs> I was like, wait a second now. So, yeah. I know we're going to get to it. Um, I think so. Uh, I remember reading this. I, I'm, uh, you're going to have to quote me on this, but it might have been Harvard Business Review. It was like the familiar Intel bong you know, is played yep. somewhere. And I'm, maybe we can insert that <laughs> in post, but it's played somewhere in the world once every five minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's a, a simple five-note tone. And it's got the memorable slogan that everyone knows by now, which is Intel Inside, right? And yep. so sight, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So sight, yeah. along with sound, accounts for like 99% of all brand information presented to consumers, right? And that is, that's a hell of a statistic, <laughs> So obviously one is more widely used in mass marketing since, you know, we have radio and digital and podcasts and, you know, all of these different, many different channels where we're consuming things like obviously through our ears, through like auditory senses. And well, it's also um, it's also universal. So mm-hmm. you don't have to have the English language. In exactly. Order to recognize. Yep. It's global. It's not like, hey, this yeah. is particular to APAC or or just mm-hmm. North America knows Intel inside, you know what I mean? Or yeah. the Apple, you know, the Mac, the Mac key up noise, right? Like everyone mm-hmm. knows that. Um, I remember it was actually in the movie Wally at one point, and everyone in the audience <laughs> went, "Oh!" And that yeah. that is the power of auditory mm-hmm. branding, right? Is like I know they all knew what Twinkies were too. So, oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> take me to your so, trash you know. pile, Wally. Um, <laughs> But I mean, when we when we talk about like measuring the purchase intent difference between like pre and post exposure of sonic logos and music, the propensity to buy, I think it grows as much as like 146 percent. 146 percent is a lot Yeah. when we're talking about a propensity to buy between pre and post exposure. I mean, that's just like an extraordinary, an extraordinary statistic to think about because what it does and and this kind of goes like circle of life back to when we talk about piloting things what it does is it shows that there's supportive data particularly in a commerce aspect for simplified CTAs to purchase intent like it's there there's data to support that there is at least at a pilot level if you're starting off like knowing nothing about auditory or it just sounds like I think oh my gosh I'm trying to remember who it was um I think it was um oh gosh who was it 
HSBC or it might have been MasterCard did that huge audio um, rebranding in 2019 and it got a lot of slack. MasterCard. Because, yes, it was MasterCard, it the was Sonic MasterCard, rebranding, right? Yeah. And people were like, oh. I've mentioned it on this podcast before, actually. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, because it's really interesting because he's very forward thinking and I wish I could remember his name off the, the top of my head. It starts with an R, forgive me. Definitely a Google a Google moment there, but um, sure. he did this huge thing where they, they did a sonic branding and it was like there was an investment there. And I think that's mm-hmm. very forward thinking, right? And we all know early adoption pays off in the long run. Like we know that people who get in the door early, podcasts are a great example. Um, people who get in the door early, people who um, are the stakeholders in that early adoption, they have success because the audience is, you know, digesting this new form of thinking and, you know, taking in their marketing values and their awareness and the branding and all this, you know, 360 view stuff different through auditory senses. And so people who are intelligent and kind of put that work in and are at the forefront of it are going to have success merely looking at like volume, right? Because if you're the only one in the room speaking, you are going to have their attention. And so Mm -hmm. I think that that's, that's something to be said for that. But um, there is a data to come back to that. There's data to support the idea of like piloting it or investing in auditory branding and sonic branding um, that has been there, especially over the past like two years. I feel like it's particularly booned with like podcasting and things like that, where we have like now all these different avenues to educate ourselves about these different tools, particularly for sonic branding. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. just elevator music. I feel like that was the quote no. I was searching for is someone who called it <laughs> elevator music. And I was like, well, that is a million dollar piece of elevator music. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's brilliant because, you know, this person took a risk. And of course, anyone who takes an early risk is always going to get criticized. But I mm-hmm. think that those early adopters are going to pay off and that if we're thinking about marketing, auditory and sonic branding are not just in the background, right? They're not just something we might get to. They should be included with your normal channels. Like if you're talking about, hey, we have... Um, social media, we have email, we have direct mail, we have webinar production, we have asset creation, we have look and feel, we have auditory branding. Like that should be a natural part of the the multi-channel experience that you're doing. Um, Mm -hmm. And I always think about um, (laughs) this one person and I feel bad. I know I've mentioned this character and it's not a character, it's a person, but I never give names. Uh, This person who had said to me, oh, social media is a fad. Mm, Yes. Which I always think about that because people are like, oh, well, it's in glorified elevated music. And I'm like, is it? Or are these just people who are uniquely aware of how people are absorbing all of these different marketing channels, all of these different activities where we're getting bombarded day and night. And yet we can look across the room and say, if I play this noise on my phone, which is the sound of a Mac booting up, how many Mm -hmm. of you can tell me what that means? How many of you can finish the Kit Kat jingle? Show Mm -hmm. of hands, show of hands, because you know that it's there. Same for voice marketing, I feel like too. Like these are just like new avenues. And I say new with air quotes there in the air, because obviously AM, FM radio has been around forever, but particularly with inundation, like the, it is up to you to make that brand unique and memorable and to engage with whatever audience, with whatever solution, product, et cetera, you're you know, throwing out into the universe or story for that matter, multimedia story. You have to be able to say, how will this be memorable? How can I differentiate myself, my brand, my story, my film, my channels, whatever it is that you're doing uh, from the person next to me? And I think auditory branding and sonic branding are 
two of those ways, you know, living within the same hemisphere to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really love what MasterCard was doing in the sense that they were also making the tones that they Mm -hmm. were using universal. Yes. Yes. So they were making them global. They were using them with different instruments Mm -hmm. depending on where people Where the location was, right? Yeah. yeah, it was just a really cool concept. So, I mean, I, I'm hoping that it works out for them because they certainly did invest a lot of Absolutely money in it. Absolutely, <laughs> they did. Yeah. No, they um, really did. Yeah. And um, I feel terrible. I can't remember his name. But, I mean, when you think about it, like, that is a risk worth taking because, one, it shows that you truly are innovative. And people, more than ever in the social media age and, like, the instantaneous, like, I am tapped in to every single thing that that brand or that company is saying online, mm-hmm. more than yeah. ever, I think that kind of authenticity was like, hey, guys, we're going to do this, like, really great, like, global music, um, cross-collaborative. We're bringing people up, like, across all these different regions and having them represent us uniquely. I think that kind of authenticity and innovation matters to particularly most of the consumers that they would be trying to reach. I had noted in the blog that I did on this blog podcast thing um, that Visa had actually done it two years before them Mm -hmm. um, in the sense that they had a series of notes or something that played every time you did a transaction. Yes, exactly. It was like the the ding, ding, ding. It's terrible. I'm not doing a very good job of sonic branding support right now. Can we put that in post? Um, But it was like that. It was like the the blink. I'm not doing anything in post. I'm just going to warn you. This is all Just use your imagination, people. It's the magic of radio or podcasting. Um, (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. What? You don't want uh-huh. to remember ding, ding, ding? It's so memorable. It's so unique. <laughs> ding, ding, yes. ding. Um, but they did. They had the tones that played during the transaction, which I was like, wow, that's really interesting to me. And I think it was like there was another another bit that I read because I just went over this article the other day because I knew I was coming on. It talked about um, voice shopping was set to hit $40 billion by 2022. So like audio identity is not not only connect brands with consumers on like a new dimension, but they're also tools to enable consumers to shop, like live and pay in this increasingly digital mobile world. And I think that really ties into to those two, those two companies kind of stepping up with the capital that they did in investing in that. Yeah, it's it's an incredible uh, wide open sphere right now. And uh, it's the wild lots west. of people are getting into it. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I actually know that um, uh, Colonel Sanders, the KFC people, they um, they have made a voice of Colonel Sanders on Alexa. Stop. Are you serious? No, this is I'm brilliant. Totally, yes, I'm totally so brilliant. Yeah. I, I just I just had uh, a visit with Carrie Roberts, who um, also has a her voice podcast. It's particularly aimed at like Alexa and voice marketing for inside voice. But we just mm-hmm. started talking about this because um, particularly with voice marketing, it's such a ripe opportunity right now. And it's mm-hmm. in people's peripherals. And I'm shocked. In the same way that sonic branding and like, you know, auditory branding aren't like a given part of any marketing plan, at least at a rudimentary, like elementary level, like we know not everyone has the capital that MasterCard does to like boom out like a million dollar, like, hey, we're going to redo all of this great stuff. But like you do have <laughs> yeah. some budget that you can allocate, right? And I'm, I'm shocked when I hear about this kind of stuff happening, that it's not happening at like at a higher level. Well, KFC is pretty big, but at the same time, it takes a lot to make a voice like that. Um, it really does. That I mean, coming from the voice acting end of this, I know how long it takes. Like, oh yeah, it takes weeks and weeks of like six-hour days, mm-hmm. like doing. You're this in the kind trenches. You're in the trenches, and yeah. I think that's like what people. 
people often just kind of, um, particularly as someone who consumes media, we often just, we don't understand that there's an investment there, right? So like mm-hmm. brand building requires that that media reach. And as consumers like increasingly, you know, increasingly use devices like voice assistants or smart speakers to like search the internet, like the development of a brand sound, it has to be a key part of what they're doing. And that's not an overnight thing, right? Like sonic branding, creating an identity, a persona that will forever live as an example of the company when you hear it, that's a huge investment, huge investment. Right. And th- yeah, these are things totally. we're going to hear totally. in our in our minds without even hearing them on the podcast. Now, like the Intel sound, the Mac booting up, the sound of Alexa's voice, the sound of Siri's voice, the sound of your voice. Like these things are all connected to moments. Right. Mm-hmm. So these are all auditory branded moments that live in our heads, which is crazy if you think about it. Like if you think like, hey, what's the voice of KFC? If you've heard it once, I bet you have it in your head now. <laughs> like it's just a by proxy yeah. of it. Right. Same well, as like what does can... Colonel Sanders sound like, right? Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I'm always going to think Norm Macdonald, but it's just like that. I just have a bias because of of doing too much improv in my former lives. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I think that that's it's fascinating because they're creating these identities that you know are going to be valued in the mind of the consumer. They're gonna they're gonna for better or worse identify that with that product. Yeah, and it's becoming more and more prevalent. I really knew almost next to nothing about voice activation as far as Alexa and Google Home were concerned until really just recently. Because uh, this whole story about, um, you know, the Colonel Sanders voice being on Alexa, like, I, and I, I know the guy who did the voice. Get out of here. really, really Brilliant. talented. <laughs> and, and I know I know how long it took him to do it. Um, you know, uh, I, I have no idea what he was paid. Oh. That I, would ask <laughs> I was him. like, that's a but hell of a question because you're going to live forever. <laughs> I know. I know. Like. Yeah. But I I hope that it was enough that like six weeks of full on days of working on this was enough for him to feel like he was being compensated for his time. Because when you're doing that, you can't do anything else. I mean, you are fried. No, absolutely not. And and I wouldn't even get into like contractual obligations. Like Siri's voice isn't going to necessarily walk down the street and do, you know, a Verizon commercial. (laughs) Like, you know, I mean, the problem with Siri was that she was contracted to do that voice for someone else. And then that someone else, because it was a work for hire, gave it to or sold it to Apple. Oh my so gosh. she got not a whole lot. And this is why I <laughs> stepped be, this so, is why I stepped behind the camera because of this kind of stuff right yeah. here, this shenaniganry. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, see, this is this is why um like audio branding, I love all this audio stuff. I think it's fantastic. I just think that we have to be very aware that there are people creating this. Yes. You know, <laughs> that there's people behind this who need to be compensated well for their time. Oh, absolutely. Because you know, they're good at what they do. Yeah. I mean, that's like um, the lifelong story of any performer, though, I feel like. Oh, yeah. You know? Any creative <laughs> exactly. thing out ah, there. The no one wants to pay for it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We all want to we all want to have beauty and we all want to experience like an emotional moment that someone has like taken 15 to 20 years of craft to generate a moment Mm -hmm. and let it loft up in the air in front of you and wash over you and have your heart be full of some kind of wonderful fantastic emotion and then not pay them yeah (laughs) yeah because it's art (laughs) (laughs) art is free well that's brilliant (laughs) but i know my dentist doesn't take art as a payment i've asked no or exposure. Yes. Okay. Oh, pay me with exposure. Just order the damn pizza, yeah. buddy. Like, 
Just pay me with the pizza. It's Friday. Yeah. Let's do this. Um, it's hard to be a creative. <laughs> it is. It is absolutely. It is absolutely. Thus, technology. Um, <laughs> yes. Well, thus, you, thus, you have a, a wide background in data, which exactly. I love. Exactly. And now I straddle the hemispheres because you can always have like one foot in the world of wonder, um, in the world of boundless creativity and storytelling and um, you know, all of the wonderful things that help us escape from a moment. Um, and then also have your other foot firmly grounded so that you're not completely a kite who someone's hand has let go of that's like soaring through the stratosphere. Um, and I think given where I am personally in my life, and I'm not going to date myself, maybe I will <laughs> at this stage, I like <laughs> the idea of having at least one foot on the ground. Um, because I think particularly when we talk about creative things, that it's important that we are able to show our effectiveness. And this isn't universal for everything. Like, um, I'm not going to look at a painting and say, measure the efficacy. Um, <laughs> measure the efficacy of Monet's lily, uh, lily pads. Um, but, I mean, I do feel like there there is certainly value, particularly in the digital marketing space and in the auditory world where we have, like, you know, sound and audio that have been long valued by tech companies. And there's all this work going into developing, like, you know, Apple's instantly recognizable dongs and text message sounds mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, but I think that there's there's certainly a value in saying, like, I can measure what I do and prove that efficacy and have it protect not only myself, but the work of the people who are next to me, the work of the people who have helped generate that story, who are behind the scenes, who do tireless, you know, just unseen work. And um, you know this as well because you work in this world. Um, that straddles many verticals. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But to be able to say at the very front of it, I have a massive shield of data that proves that there is potentiality for whatever story, brand, movie, content, asset, creation, whatever it is that we're doing with media or marketing in any way, shape, or form to prove that effectiveness, I think is incredibly valuable for me because it, mm -hmm. it keeps heads from rolling because people often look at you know, digital marketers or creators as the disposable asset when when shit hits the fan. Oh, I just realized I said that. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully <laughs> that's, that's okay. okay. We have an adult audience here. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. Adults. This is eighteen plus, right? Um, but I feel like <laughs> when when that when that that axe comes a calling and it it does across many verticals, and I'm sure like our economy is definitely not immune to that now. Um, I feel mm -hmm. like data can protect the valuable work that these people do, right? It's not fluff and stuff. It's not just like, look, I made a pretty picture. You know, it's mm -hmm. not just Mad Men in a handshake anymore. It's not, oh, look at the cool ad I did. Isn't it cool looking? It's who did the ad reach? When did it mm -hmm. reach them? How did it reach them? Did they click? What other actions did they take? How does this tie into multi-touch attribution? How can I measure the efficacy? Um, where did it hit them when they were going through their funnel velocity? How is that measured? Did it did it eventually come through, you know, inquiry, MQL, SQL? How are we measuring it? Is it tied to the CRM? Is it tied to the pipe? Is that pipe tied to what percentage of that pipe became closed rev, closed renewal? Mm -hmm. That is the stuff that's kind of running in my head like all the time. But <laughs> I mean, that kind of that kind of journey is important, though, because at the front, you have a glorious, beautiful story, asset engagement, even something like this podcast. And then you have to be able to turn around and say, who did it reach? When did it reach them? How did it reach them? Was it the right time? Was it the right place? Um, how do we want to reshare this? How can it be repackaged? You know, how can you make this one thing work for you in as many ways as possible in the most effective channels and audience as possible? And that's oh, yeah. what data and there's does. Way for me. more ways to measure this, this yes. these days. Now Absolutely, than there ever it's has yeah. Been. It's not just like I ran like a camel cigarettes ad in the 1960s and said, <laughs> "Pray for the best." 
Maybe they'll buy more. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like now there are literal ways to to measure this efficacy. And I think that that's mm-hmm. extraordinarily valuable because it protects the work that we all come in and do every day, regardless of our vertical. Um, and data does that. Data, data science particularly, I think, is extraordinarily valuable in having people having that level of literacy to say, I can scientifically prove I'm effective. Show me. Mm-hmm. Let me do this. And I can prove to yeah. you that it's effective. And that's something as a creative person, you know, we always take those risks where we're just, we're creating for the love of creating. And so we're going to keep doing it. But I think for me personally, I can protect the people I work with. I can protect our assets. You know, putting food on the table can be protected by saying, I have data that supports that this was successful and it can't be denied. Yeah. So the audio element that comes into all of this should definitely not be an afterthought. Absolutely not. I'm always surprised yeah. when people think that. And I, <laughs> I'm surprised because of like a social an afterthought. Is yeah. it? Is well, it in 2020? Is it really an afterthought? I don't think so. No. And I think that um, regardless of the size of the institution, the business or the persona that's generating this, um, you can put that work in. You can say, Who, how do I want to be perceived should be one of your first business questions right? Mm -hmm. Like it should be one of the first things on the table. And I think, again, see, as we're going back in this full circle, who's at the table with you generating these ideas? Who's helping you say, what is this company doing? And you better damn straight have the answers to that before you go chasing an audience. Mm -hmm. Because you could be aiming at the wrong person, right? Yeah. Good to have different uh, different voices in Absolutely. the same room when you're coming you, up. It has because it has to be. You because can't do you would this be in an echo chamber. <laughs> exactly. You, they can't. And, and and we can believe me. We can save a whole other podcast for the for the, <laughs> the inclusive the inclusivity <laughs> and we'll diversity get into factors more of those questions. <laughs> that 100 percent are a part of my day to day life. Believe me, they need to be. Um, but you need uh-huh. to have those those stakeholders at the table in the very beginning saying, how do, how do we want this company to be perceived? What are we trying to share? And if you can't answer those questions, you need to go back to the table and do that. You can't, you can't just spin that up. And, and if you've had an accidental success and then you have a little bit of slack in your line to do this, you really do need to say like, you know, who is this company? Like, how do I, how do we want the company to be perceived? You know, like um, Barney's is perceived wildly different than Walmart and they're both in a retail space. So how do you want to be perceived? Who do you want to be next to? Like, what are your affiliate audiences? All of these questions are like core digital marketing 101, but you would be shocked at how many times you walk into a room and people can't answer that question. Like, who is this as a company? Can you give me the elevator pitch? Like, what are we? Yeah, and identity uh... is going to be so valuable. Like, when we think about like App- Apple's instantly recognizable text message sound, like developers and engineers put huge emphasis on the auditory experience of their software. Right. Mm-hmm. I think even like it was like Prototyper launched an audio UI library to bring like more sounds to interface easily. Even if you don't have like the huge capital of like Apple or Tinder or like things where you if you hear those noises, you know what they mean. And I think that like when we when we think about sonic branding, when we, we think about auditory branding, we have to think about it from the bottom up. And it should be a, a given part of the channel exercises that you're doing in that marketing sphere. This has been part one of our interview. I hope you'll tune in next week for part two. Well, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please take a moment to give the podcast a review. It's greatly appreciated and super helpful. Until next time.